You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Thank you, thank you. No, um, I thought uh, worship was fantastic, and I just wrote down a few things that uh, will help us maybe keep our focus on Jesus. And uh, one of it was uh, our hearts honor with you with praise. And um, the other one was uh, weak made strong in the Savior's love. And um, I'm just going to pray first before I start. But Father, I recognize that I'm just a man and I'm weak. But uh, through you, I can do amazing things. And Lord, I just pray that uh, that will resonate in all of our hearts this morning, that you have made us strong only in our weakness, Lord Jesus. And that anything that will prohibit us from hearing you this morning, we, we bring it before you. We ask for you to soften our hearts. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So as Tom already said, uh, my name is John. I have the privilege today to uh, speak to you with my wife, Hannah. Um, we've been married for how long, Hannah? Almost nine years. Almost nine years. As Tom said, we've been coming to this church for um, quite a long time, and it's wonderful to see how it's grown and how we're looking ahead to uh, new adventures on the horizon. And it's wonderful to be a part of this with all of you and to see what God has for us. And um, if you're new here, um, we've been going through a series called Go. And if you're not new here, we're still going through a series called Go. Um, and we'll be going through that series. But uh, last week, um, I thought it was amazing to hear the message about go to the sick. And then on top of that, to have one of my brothers, who I know very well, to be able to share with us his stories, how he has been seeing people healed. And he's a living witness to that, that Jesus still heals today. And hopefully that raised all of your faith that as we go through this series, it's not something as if it's out there we can't do. But no, you're all actually going to go. You're going to go with this church. You're going to go with this leaders. You're going to go with Jesus to see remarkable things happen in this town. And I've had the privilege today to uh, look at go and practice hospitality. And uh, I have a confession. I thought that Hannah and I were quite good at this. But actually, when I dived into the Word of God, I saw how much further we have to go. And really, God challenged me in terms of there's so much more to give. There's so much more of you to give. He gave himself, but there's so much more of him to give. And today, we're going to be looking at... um, Luke uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 27 to 32. But I'm going to be dipping in and out of uh, the whole chapter, but the primary message is around 27 to 32. Um, you, when we get to the point where we read it, you may actually think this passage doesn't actually use the word hospitality. Well, it doesn't. And the reason why Hannah and I chose it was because we thought that there was such an excellent example of God just demonstrating his hospitality, Um, then the God's heart to invite people into his hospitality, and then it had what that person's reaction was to God's hospitality, but also at the end of it, there was some criticism to the demonstration and the choice, actually, of who God chose to show his hospitality to. So, Let's jump into that. If you have your Bibles, I think I'll give you enough time to find it. And it says, 
After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Then Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And my first point is really that Jesus is the essence of hospitality. Jesus is the king who serves. He brings a particular kingdom to this world, and it's expanding. And also he's a king bearing good news. And although Jesus is kind of mentioned at the very front, I didn't want to just jump straight into Levi. I thought it was very important that, as what we've done last week, we look into who Jesus really is and who he says he is. And I just thought that we can't really understand the context or the text in itself if we just overlook this. So we need to look at who Jesus is, who he says he is, and who people understand he is. And like I said last week, Tom was very clear about uh, who Jesus is as being fully God and fully man and being able to, to heal. And I just really want to build on the back of that. And I have two particular passages that help us understand who Jesus is as king. And the first one is in Luke 5, 24, and I'll just read it to you. But it says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So why does he call himself the Son of Man? Well, Jesus referred to himself this way because it was in a way that the Jewish people would have understood it. He wasn't into the business of going around and saying, look at me, I'm king, I'm king. He was saying it in a clever way, which might seem to us, but actually in, in the times it would have been a way that they should have understood it because it was in the language, in the context of their culture. And I have a passage here that I don't really want to dwell too long on, but I think it's quite clear uh, in terms of it's coming from the Old Testament, and the Old Testament spoke a lot about this Jesus to come. And it's from Daniel 7, and it's verses 13 to 14. It says, this is Daniel having a, a vision. And it says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. So the son of man. And he came up to the ancient of days, God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and the kingdom that all the peoples, nations, men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So this Jesus is who this prophecy is talking about and referring to. My next passage is he is the Christ which is found in Matthew 16 16 and it said Simon Peter replied so Simon was one of Jesus' disciples and he said you are the Christ the son of the living God now the Christ has multiple meanings but particularly the meaning I'm looking for or that I thought would be helpful for us for us today was that he is the Messiah or the anointed one of God so we have a king who basically was sent by God. He chose to come to earth to save the Jews. So he's the son of man, and he is the Christ. 
And from these two passages, we can see that what Jesus said about himself, but we can also see what someone else has declared about Jesus. So Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, and Peter refers to Jesus as the Christ. So I think it's safe to say we can conclude that he was claiming to be God and fully man. He is the Son of God, and that he is a king sent by God, and that he also has power and authority. Now those are some very huge claims, and it would be naive for us or anyone to kind of look at well, where's the evidence to back this up? What, what, what authority? What kingdom? What, what are you talking about? So i just like to look at a few uh, passages of scriptures, actually, which is in Luke itself, this, hence why we're staying in Luke, where it shows Jesus basically validating that he is the son of God and he is who he say he is and that he is a king. So I thought to myself, well, if he's a king, then what kingdom does he have? And Where does authority come from? Well, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, it says, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles. So Jesus proclaimed something. It was verified by signs, wonders, and miracles. No different than today. Last week we were talking about Jesus being a healer. How was it proclaimed? Signs, wonders, in someone's workplace. And then someone actually came and to church and gave their life to Jesus, the whole family. So there it is in today. But back to the chapter, if you look in Luke chapter 5, it says in verse 6 that he was catching, he had a catching of many fish with the disciples, I'm paraphrasing, but this showed that he had authority over nature. In verse 13, he cleansed the leper. He had healing power. In verse 20 and 24, so in verse 20, he forgives sins, And then in verse 24, he heals a paralytic. We also see in these same verses that people recognize the authority. So he really didn't need to call himself a king. People gave him that title. In verse 8, it says, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Verse 12, it says, When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, This is the leper. Lord, if you were willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus made him clean. He said, I am willing. Verse 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? He's declaring that he's God. So Jesus is king and he has power and authority on earth. So he said something, then he did something to demonstrate, to show that he was who he said he was. And my last kind of part for the first section is that he came to bring the good news. So what about this good news that Jesus was proclaiming in the Gospel of Luke? Well, in verse 1, it says, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. In verse 15, so that the crowds of people came to hear And then in verse 17, one day, Jesus was teaching. And I didn't mean to kind of do it this way, or maybe I did, but there's there's an order to Jesus proclaiming the good news, people recognizing who he is, and then him doing things to validate who he says he is, who he is. So you ask me, John, what's the good news, right? Well, 
the good news is this, that we have a God whose purpose for the world is to save a people for himself and renew the world for those people. Although those people do not deserve this, he willingly came to earth to show them what God is like. Bringing his rule and reign to earth and his kingly rule implies a saving and redeeming activity on their behalf. I think Tim used this a couple weeks ago in, um, uh, in his preaching. It's from Luke 4.18. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Is he a king? Check. To proclaim good news to the poor. Is that what Jesus was doing? Check. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who oppress. Did he heal people and set people free and forgive sins? Check. So this Jesus who meets Levi is the real deal. He's no fake. He's no counterfeit. It is the real deal. So now let's look at the story, now that we've settled who Jesus is and the Jesus who Levi is meeting, and also the Jesus who has met us in our lives. This is, he's the real deal, right? So my second point is, Levi responds to God's hospitality. In verse 27, it says, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. So we know that Levi was a tax collector because it says he was a collect sector. But more importantly, and more than that, he was also a thief, a crook, a robber. And he would have taken an unfair share from people he was collecting tax from and possibly double taxing them. But Jesus, he made no delay in approaching Levi. He intentionally spoke directly to Levi, and Levi was hand-selected. When I read this, it kind of hit close to home because... I was hand-selected by Jesus to follow him. He personally chose me. I thought I wasn't going to cry because I cried in the worship, but if I cry, it's only because I'm so touched by the fact that God would choose me. Could you imagine how Levi felt? I did. I imagined how Levi felt. What, me? You chose me? The things I've done? The people I've ripped off? The things I've thought about? Yes, Jesus chose Levi. He probably also thought, Rabbi, aren't you supposed to look... For people who aren't like me, who are followers of the law, who are perfect, Jesus says, no, I decided to choose you. And there's a lot to actually learn from Levi and just his name. Levi would have probably come from the Levites who were in the Old Testament, and obviously still today, but it was particularly a people who were hand-selected to do priestly duties. However, it appears that Levi lost his way. He became a tax collector, and he was no longer, or he never fulfilled his passion or his desire to do his priestly duties. But Jesus was calling him back to his destiny by handpicking him and selecting him. Jesus was coming to Levi and saying, you are mine. Do you dream of partnering with Jesus by calling or helping him call other people to their destiny with godly hospitality? Levi made no hesitation. He left everything. He was unqualified and he followed Jesus. Jesus was calling him back to his true calling. It says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him 
who called you out of darkness into, into his wonderful light. This is Levi. If you're a Christian here today, this is you. If you're not a Christian here today, this can be you. Also, Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Levi didn't think of the cost of leaving whatever it was he was leaving behind. He thought Jesus was totally worth it. So he chose to follow Jesus right away. So in accepting Jesus' invitation, he becomes associated with Jesus as his disciple, and he comes under Jesus' rule and reign and under Jesus' authority. We can say Levi was no longer the tax collector, but it was Levi the priest. Point three, Levi creates opportunity to expose his friends and Pharisees and the others to see Jesus. In verse 29, it says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Levi chose to follow Jesus, but even better, he threw a party. He threw a party not for himself, but he threw a party for Jesus. Jesus was the guest of honor at his party. Jesus was the one that he wanted everyone to meet. And just to kind of give it some context, uh, it's not like how we throw parties today. It would have been that this guest of honor seat would have been something that was very prestigious. And actually, the guest of honor would have had an opportunity to say something. So in, in Levi's mind, it was no doubt what Jesus was going to say. He was going to proclaim the good news. He was going to let people know who he was. And he was going to heal people. So right away, Levi, as he was, is inviting this Jesus to be amongst his family, his friends, and the others. Levi recognized that Jesus was calling to him calling him to something greater, and he wanted everyone he knows to be a part of that. I see that as a tremendous challenge in my own life. I remember when I first became a Christian, it was that small group at our house, and I texted all my friends, and they were like, this guy is a nutter. (laughs) Yeah? But that's how I felt, and I still feel that way, but I think God's not settled me down, but he's given me more wisdom to decide and to actually listen to him and to follow and be in step with the spirit to use my home my time my friends for when it's best for him and when he knows that someone is going to be listening or he's been nudging away in their heart i think it's so cool in the story that it's the others they don't even get a name on the invitation list i imagine the others to be the poor the sick the marginalized who he's invited to his house. And they won't be talking about wine, how good the wine was, or the food, or even the latest, I don't know, sandals or robes they'd have been wearing at the time. (laughs) They're interested in meeting this Jesus. My last point is, hospitality God's way will look different. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered to them, or answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Now, this, these two verses have a lot in it, but what I felt God tell me to pick out today was that self-righteousness, pride, and religion will disrupt godly hospitality in your life. So you see, the Pharisees forgot that they were once the foreigners themselves in the book of Exodus when they left Egypt. Actually, in Deuteronomy, it says, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. 
And that would have been for the Pharisees who were there who were actually criticizing Jesus. They thought that, they're right, they, thought that they were righteous because they didn't associate themselves with sinners. They lost compassion for people. You see, Jesus was incorruptible. He was the physician who can go to the sick because he wouldn't get sick, but also because he had the cure. I think Hannah was saying to me in worship, Jesus said, I require mercy, not sacrifice. God wants us to show mercy, mercy to the marginalized, mercy mercy to those who are far away. It also says our righteousness are like filthy rags. I'm not even going to go into the filthiness, but it's pretty filthy. Lastly, their hard hearts prevented them from seeing that they were sick also. This caused them not to see Jesus for who he really was and that they also needed to receive the good news. I think this is a very warning. This is a warning to us that we need to be careful about keeping rules or being self-righteous or associating with sober people because maybe they're not like us and, and, and you know, they're weird or they smell or whatever. So you know, I've lived in England quite a long time and class, is, class here is very obvious. Jesus wanted us to demolish class and his church. Yeah? He wants us to be kingdom people, not middle, working class, or aristocracy. So ending, four things. I want us to remember that hospitality that Jesus has shown us is so important, and we need to always remember the hospitality he's shown us. I had scripture, but I don't think I have time to go through it. But the next one is, remember, we have decided to follow Jesus and that there is a daily dying of self, but there is more to gain in Christ. Remember to give Jesus his rightful place in the seat of honor in our hearts daily. And finally, remember that you were once a stranger, also an enemy of God, and that he showed you mercy while you were an enemy of his. Therefore, be a vehicle of mercy to others and don't let anything get in the way. Yeah, Lord, I just want to thank you, Father, that you are the God of hospitality. I want to thank you, Lord, that you found us in all of our mess and all of our sin, and you've welcomed us into your family. You've adopted us to be part of your people, Lord, the royal priesthood who are being made more like you. And, Lord, we know that we can do nothing apart from you, Jesus. All of this is for you. We want to lay down our lives. We want to lay down everything that we have for your glory. And um, what I'd love to do now is I just want to go back into that story, um, the story of Levi, and think what can we learn for our day-to-day lives now? What can we learn from this story about how we might want to live in response to this wonderful stuff we've been hearing from John? Um, And it says in Romans 12, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. And I don't know how you feel when you read that, but when I read that, I think, yes. 
This is what I long for. This is the community that I long for, where we can say we love one another. We're devoted to one another in love, where we're going to walk through stuff together in faith and in prayer, and we're going to see Jesus glorified. And it said that they were never lacking in zeal. And that word zeal means passion. They had passion for Jesus. They'd laid down their life for Jesus. And I want that for us. I want us to be a people that are passionate about him, crazy about him, and don't stop talking about it like Levi. And this um, series, we're in the Go series. And has anyone else just felt like the Holy Spirit's been giving us quite a consistent message? Um, We've been hearing that Jesus has come to proclaim the kingdom, the good news. He's come to heal the sick and love the poor and love the broken. And we, who are being conformed to his image, which means being made like Jesus, we get to see the kingdom advancing as well by his grace. Um, through our lives. And I really do think that this command in Romans to practice hospitality is one of the real practical, effective ways that we as a people can go and be hospitable. So we're just going to read the story again, and then I'm going to pick out some things from Levi's example. It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Then Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And there's two things that I just want to pick out from Levi's example. The first thing is is that Levi was a man of welcome. And the second thing is, is that Levi was a man who opened up his heart, his life and his home so that Jesus could be glorified. And the word welcome, that's actually one of the synonyms for the word hospitality. It kind of means the same thing, to greet people, to welcome them in, to make them feel accepted, to make them feel that they belong. And we see Levi in this story welcoming people to his banquet. And I really like who Levi has on his guest list. So he has Jesus, the guest of honour, and John's just done such a good job of telling us why that's the most important thing. Jesus was the guest of honour. And then he invited other disciples, so other people that had decided to follow Jesus as well. Um, He invited his friends, his tax-collecting friends, and then it says, and others. And I wonder if Levi sat down and thought to himself, right, who am I going to invite? Who am I going to put in the seat next to Jesus? Who am I going to introduce to that disciple? Because I know they're going to connect and click. And in a way, the tax, commu- the tax collector community, that would have been Levi's friendship group. That would have been his community, really. And I was really struck when I read this story because he was actually welcoming Jesus into his community, his people. And I started dreaming and I started to think all the people groups in Ipswich, all of the people groups in Ipswich that need Jesus to be welcomed in. And it just took one 
one Levi, one Levi, and then he went and told all of his friends. And I just, yeah, like I encourage us to dream about that. There's so many people that can come to know Jesus. And tax collectors wouldn't have been very popular. Um, they, he probably didn't have many other friends, but he welcomes Jesus and he brings them together. And another thing that struck me about Levi is that he had no fear of judgment for his friends. No fear that he couldn't bring Jesus around his friends. And I thought, why is that? No fear. No fear of judgment. And I think it's because this. Levi remembered that while he was still in his tax booth, God called him. Just like me, while I was still a sinner... Christ called me. When I was a mess and had nothing to offer, Christ called me. And that's the remedy for judgment, okay? That we're all here because of his grace. And Levi, he also invited his other disciples um, to, yeah, just to get in the mix and meet, meet Jesus and meet his other friends. And it says in John, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I just feel there's an encouragement for us to welcome other people into our friendship and fellowship. So when we're together with our Christian friends, let's just invite other people into that because it's really powerful. And some of us might have that hard thing of living with people that don't know Jesus. Um, We've got a teenager and he's not much interested in Jesus at the moment. And it's hard. It's really hard. And some of you might have spouses that don't believe in Jesus. Um, I would just encourage you, expose them to the community of Christ as often as you can. It's not a burden for you to carry on your own. Don't be the only Christian that they know. Expose them to the family of God because it's the way that we love each other that wins people to Jesus. And Levi, he was definitely a man of welcome. And it also said he had the others. And we don't know who the others are. They might have been people that had heard about Jesus and wanted to come and get healed. It might have been that they were following him around. Or they might have been people from Levi's neighborhood, perhaps. But they were probably strangers to Levi. But he treats them with the same hospitality. He welcomes them. He gives them food. He provides a banquet for them. There's a generosity um, to the others. And... It's funny, isn't it, that the Pharisees, they didn't get it. They were like, why are you hanging around with tax collectors and sinners? Because they thought that they were righteous. But Levi, he was a very new disciple, and he got it. He understood that the message that Jesus was proclaiming was for everyone, that it was all were welcome in God's family. And John Piper, he says it like this. This is God's hospitality, that he welcomes sinners into his eternal home, not because of anything they have done, but because of his generous gift, generous grace. And one of the things I know the leadership team here at the church desire is that we will welcome many others, many, many others who do not know Jesus yet, that they'll be welcomed into our family here. And the second thing we learn about Levi is that he's a man who opens up his home and his life for people to know Jesus. It says, then Levi held a great banquet in his house. 
And again, Levi would have seen Jesus doing this. He was following his example. He would have seen Jesus eating with people, sharing life with them, praying with them, creating intimate friendships with them, letting people know his teachings. And Levi was following Jesus' example. And Levi was a normal man, I'm sure. Um, He'd had a life of tax collecting, and he'd just met with Jesus, who'd turned his life around he definitely wouldn't have had a perfect life. None of us have a perfect life, and I know Levi didn't either, but he was still brave enough in his brokenness to just open up his life as it was um, for the glory of Jesus. And I was sad to read recently that England has been voted one of the loneliest capitals in Europe Um, There was an independent article that said, Britain has been voted the loneliest capital of Europe. How did we become so isolated? And that made me sad because in one way, we're more connected than ever, aren't we, with social media and the internet. But we're lonely. People are lonely. And there's people in our town that are really lonely. And I sometimes wonder if the way that we live quite closed off lives behind closed doors in front of the TV... I wonder if that adds to the problem of loneliness. And here we see Levi. He wasn't using his house as a place to recharge on his own or escape, although sometimes, of course, we need to do that. But he was using his house as a space to bring people together, to bring different people together. And I really believe that if we want to make disciples, we do do that through just opening up our lives, our homes, as we are, doing life together, doing community, so that we can together lift our eyes at the perfect one and journey and become more like him. And I'd just like to plug this book. Um, John, Tom lent it to us, and we've been having a great time reading it. It's called Friends, Food and the Gospel, and it pretty much does what it says on the tin It's very practical. It gives you really great ideas of how can you bring different people together over food? How can you enjoy time with your friends, mix up your friendship groups? I definitely recommend it. And in his book, Andy Moyle, he explains um, the root of the word hospitality. Okay, he says, in ancient times, religious leaders established international guest houses to look after pilgrims and travelling business. They were havens for guests called hospices or hospitals from the Latin hospice, which means guest. By the time of the Crusades, these hospices, often run by monks, were the only safe places to stay. They then began to specialise in looking after the poor, the sick and the injured, becoming what we now know as hospitals. And he says later in that same chapter, your home is meant to be a hospital for the weary and a haven for the hurting. And although Levi used his house in that way to bring together, I'm sure there were the sick there, I'm sure the broken were there. Um, It wasn't about his house. That wasn't the focus. The focus was Jesus. It was all about Jesus. He was the guest of honour. Levi's hospitality was about people getting to know Jesus. It was about giving people time to tell their story. It was about listening. It was about being present with them. And the Bible doesn't tell us 
what Levi's house was like. It doesn't tell us how big it was, what the rooms were like, the size of the table, because it's really not about the house. It's about what happens in the house. And I was so reminded Jesus didn't have a house, did he? And he was the best. He was the best at hosting people. He was the best at loving people, at coming into their world. And just as a bit of a confession, I've kind of been on a bit of a journey with this recently about my house. Um, I've got a group of friends and we've been meeting together just to have food and get to know each other. And we've been traveling from house to house. So I've been to all their houses and they're all beautiful. And um, I've really struggled to invite them to our house. And it's been really hard because I basically feel insecure. I feel like my house isn't as nice as their house. I don't have as much money as their house. And God has really, really challenged me and used that to kind of stake in me again. No, my identity is not about what I have. My identity is about who Jesus is. And John's so helpful at reminding me, when we have people in our house, he's like, God's here. The Holy Spirit is here. We welcome people into that, not into what we have materially. And I think probably for me, we've been talking in this series about what are the next steps. I think for me, that's my next step. I'm going to invite that group of women round to my house. I'm going to have them for dinner. And Peter Gregg, he says this, people tell tell me they have the gift of hospitality, by which I think they mean that they like dinner parties. They have or aspire to have a beautiful home with an underused spare room in which they enjoy entertaining exotic, interesting, appreciative guests who confirm just how lovely their home is. This is not the gift of hospitality. This is the gift of a box of chocolates. Biblical hospitality starts in the heart and not the IKEA catalogue. It's a really bad lifestyle choice. True hospitality allows for interruption, goes the second mile, and above all is present to people. Listening is the highest form of hospitality. Hospitality like this rarely comes with a box of chocolates. It can often hurt our schedules, our emotions, our bank accounts, and yes, It can even mess up our homes. And um, that's coming from the woman that still, you know, pushes the hoover around every time someone comes around. So I'm not saying I'm there. But um, godly hospitality is about Jesus. And if we could just put up verse 29 again. I just want to land here. Um, It says, he held a banquet for Jesus in his house. And his hospitality was worship for Jesus. He was opening up his life so people could come to know this amazing king that we've heard about and that the kingdom of that king could be extended. Um, So just very quickly, in summary, godly hospitality always makes us more like Christ. It's always conforming us to his image, even the hard bits of hospitality. Godly hospitality means that we welcome people, that they feel accepted and loved, never judged, but sometimes they're going to be called to the truth because that's what Jesus did. Godly hospitality means that when people are around us, they come away knowing a little bit more of what Jesus is like. And godly hospitality advances God's kingdom 
which is so exciting. Um, I'm just going to tell one really quick story and then um, we'll get the worship band back up. When we lived in our old house, um, one of the things we loved is that we had communal gardens, so we had very low fences, so we got to know our neighbours very, very quickly. And we had this lovely neighbour called Carol, and her brother came to stay with her because he'd been diagnosed with cancer. And we just, we just got a friendship with him going over the fence. And one evening, we were able to go into Carol's house and share the gospel with him and pray for his cancer. And we laid hands on him, you know, maybe not with that much faith. And we prayed that God would heal him from cancer. And when we saw him next time over the fence, he said to us, oh, you'll never guess what. I went back to the doctors about my cancer and it's gone. I don't have cancer. Um, And I just wanted to say that is the adventure of godly hospitality. We get to advance God's kingdom and we get to see people come into his rule and reign. Um, If you just want to stand, I'd love just to pray for us. And then we're going to sing together, fix our eyes back on Jesus. Um, Yeah, Father, I just want to pray, Lord Jesus, that you will give us the grace to go. I pray you give us the grace to go to our neighborhoods, to our work colleagues, to the mums at the school gates. Lord, I pray that we will be a people who practice godly hospitality. Lord, I pray our homes will be a refuge for the poor and the sick and the broken. And Lord, I pray that you will be glorified in this town. Lord, be glorified in our homes. Be glorified in our families, Lord. Be glorified in our lives. Lord, um, yeah, we know you're the one who sends us, Lord. We can't do any of this without you. So we ask for your power. We ask for your Holy Spirit. Give us everything that we need, Lord, to be your royal priesthood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.